0: Come again to uh real life broadcasting and i'm your host irv rish and today uh, i'm going to do something that i mentioned on my last podcast i said that i was going to uh, take and uh render uh a audio out of a video that i have of a friend of mine uh carl popple Reiter, who is uh living in Minnesota now. He's originally from uh, California, and I'll just kind of give you a little rundown on him. Uh, he was in law enforcement. He was a park ranger, and uh, he has a lot of lot of stories about when he was in law enforcement. He's semi-retired now. He still works. Uh, he does background checks and stuff on people that are going into law enforcement and so he has to go back to California once in a while. In fact, this month he's got to go back for a couple of weeks. But uh, uh, he is living, his residency is in Minnesota now. And we've had the pleasure of having him uh, teach in the little chapel that I go to. And uh, we are really blessed to have him. So with that said, I'm just going to end my a broadcast right here, but I'm going to tie his teaching, his last teaching, about uh, the way we are drawn to the cross of Calvary. And uh, it's going to cover a lot more than that, but that that was the main thought that I was had on my mind when he was teaching, believe it or not. I had shared that portion of Scripture out of John 12, and he's going to be teaching out of John 12, and he's going to be teaching from verse 20 to the end of the chapter. And uh, so with that said, I'm just going to end my uh, talk here, and uh, till the next time, uh, I'll be seeing you later, and just listen to what Carl has to say, and I know that you'll be blessed. Uh, Bye for now.
1: So on Facebook, I know some of you are on Facebook and uh, I have uh, about 200 people uh, that are friends on Facebook. I probably know personally a hundred of those people and are close friends or family with most of those. And whenever someone posts something, of the ones I follow, which are about a hundred, those folks that I know personally, it shows up on a sidebar and it says, you know, John Doe posted something. Jane Doe posted something, except for Irv. Irvs says your friend, Irv Risch, posted something. Nobody else's does that. I have no idea why it does that, except that I think there is some kind of a spiritual connection between me and Irv, because more than once, Irv has brought up a verse or given a little remembrance in the remembrance service of Christ, and I have had the exact same thought, and so I haven't presented it. Or I've gotten up and presented and shared the verse, and it was Irv's
0: thought. You did the same to me.
1: Yes. And today, Irv preached my sermon this morning in the remembrance service from John chapter 12. So we can all go and watch football. Oh, no, football's not on. Let's open with a word of prayer instead. Heavenly Father, we praise you for the gift of salvation you've given us in your Son. What, a, what an undeserved and yet gloriously merciful gift you've given us. And We can praise you for that. Lord, as we open your word today, I pray that you would drive the distractions of this day out of our minds so we can just focus on you and your Son. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So we're continuing in our study of John and uh, kind of last couple of times we've talked about Lazarus being raised from the dead and uh, Jesus at his triumphal entry and um, Lazarus was somewhat of the smoking gun of John's legal case for Christ. He's transitioning um, by way of Lazarus into his closing arguments. Remember John has presented a case Mm -hmm. with not every piece of evidence and every piece of testimony about Christ because they could fill volumes upon volumes upon volumes. So he has selected specific pieces of evidence so that we, the jury might believe. And when we believe in him we would have life and so Lazarus is somewhat of the smoking gun the last final big piece of evidence that points to Christ being messiah I I should say Jesus being messiah because Christ is the Greek word that translates from the Hebrew word for messiah so that would be redundant So Jesus is the Christ, and Lazarus is the smoking gun. He was very dead and in the tomb, and Jesus raised him to new life. He was raised by Jesus, who is very God, and in fact, is the resurrection and the life. And then John presses on into his closing arguments, summarizing now the evidence and the testimony, but not going back over each piece, but rather giving us kind of a progression from the accomplishments of Christ and his works and wonders here on earth toward the future actions of those who are beneficiaries of his work. So John uses subtle references in Jesus's words and in John's own uh, descriptions of what's going on from some of the Jewish feasts or the feasts that God gave Israel. Um, So let's pick it up in chapter 12 and verse 20. Mm, 20, there we go. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip went and told Andrew, Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls from the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. The hour has now come. There's. A little sidebar that is an important takeaway from this little transaction. And that is that Jesus' disciples brought these people to Jesus. And that's what we are called to do today still. To bring people to Jesus. Well, God's expiring lamb is the fallen or the really the falling seed that Jesus is talking about here. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. The feast that's in view here is the feast of first fruits, Yom Habikarim. And uh Paul in First Corinthians 15 and verse 20 writes, "But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the bikkurim of those who have fallen asleep, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. Yom Habikkurim falls right after Passover." Passover's on the 14th day of the Jewish month of Nisan every year. Uh, matzo, or the Feast of Unleavened Bread, falls on the 15th, begins on the 15th for the next seven days of the month of Nisan. And Bikarim falls during the Sabbath week, uh, the Sabbath of the week during that, um, I'm sorry, the, the day after the Sabbath or the Sunday. Uh, during that week, Jesus died on Friday, which was um, the 14th of Nisan. He was in the tomb declared to be our sin. As the matzah or the unleavened bread is declared to contain matzah, to contain hametz, leavening, even though it is without Jesus was declared to be our sin, even though he was without on the 15th. And on the next day, which was Sunday, the day that the priests would wave the Bikarim offering, the first fruits offering, Jesus rose from the grave. Bikarim is always about the barley harvest in Israel. Okay. It's the first grain that's produced, the first crop of the year is the barley crop. And interestingly enough, and I, and I have um, researched this a little bit, that every mention of barley in the Old Testament is surrounded in some way with a story of victory and redemption and God's um, victory for Israel. Well, it's a time of celebrating God's provision, right? With the first thrust of the sickle to the to the ripe uh, barley, the harvest that stood ready and ripe to be harvested. And then on that day, they begin counting 50 days, 49 days and the next day. That's seven weeks of seven days. And on the next day, the 50th day, um, Is uh, Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, that we call uh, Passover, uh, that we call that we call Pentecost, okay? And so Jesus rose from the grave on Bikarim as the Omer was beginning to be counted for the next 50 days, showing that his resurrection has everything to do in connection with the giving of the Holy Spirit which happened on that day, 50 days later. Well, the relationship between the Lord and the harvest is in view right here. And those who are the beneficiaries of the harvest will experience these things. A repudiation of the self-centered life Verse 25, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Those who benefit from Jesus' work here will see an establishment of commitment as his ambassadors. The next verse opens with, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. The next one is a promise of fellowship will be experienced. And where I am, there will my servant be also. And the fourth thing he proclaims is the prospect of glory. And where I uh, see, if anyone serves me, the father will honor him. These are all things that the believers experience. These are not requirements of belief or requirements that have to be met first in order to experience them. He says, whoever loves his life loses it and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. There's no requirement there saying you've got to hate this life. It's that if you believe, you will see around you and loathe what you see, not in the physical nature of creation, although creation is bent and broken, just like humanity is, but you will see and you will be disgusted by what you see. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. It doesn't say if anyone serves me, he has to follow me first in order to serve me. No, if we're serving him, we are following him. It's a condition. It's an experience that we have. It's not a condition of of, uh, salvation. So let's move on. Verse 27. And now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Jesus is troubled. The the Greek word is tarazo, and it means to take away one's calmness of mind. Jesus is very upset about what is about to transpire but it doesn't stop him from continuing. We can take away a lesson from that too. If we're very troubled about what we see um, in the future coming, uh, that's okay. Jesus, he felt so much worse uh, in his mind than we were. The next feast that is addressed is, loosely here is Yom HaTaruah, which is the Day of Trumpets, or the Feast of Trumpets sometimes called. It's one day where the Jews are called to prepare themselves quietly in their own minds and hearts to receive their new covenant just like God called them to Mount Sinai with the very first trumpet that's mentioned in the book. And he said, when you hear the trumpet, come and prepare yourself to receive the covenant. And he will call them again with the last trumpet and call them to prepare themselves to receive their new covenant. And of course that ushers in a time called the times of Jacob's trouble, which is the tribulation where God will very literally prepare them um, and judge them and judge the world. So remembering that Jesus offered four different witnesses way back in the first part of John witnesses to who he is He started with John the Baptist and John heard a confirming voice and saw a confirming sign in the in the uh, figure of a dove descending on Jesus. In verse 28 here, Father, glorify your name, Jesus says. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. So Jesus is Tarazzo. He is very upset and unsettled in his mind. And he calls out to the father to glorify yourself. Don't take me from this hour because this is what you put me here to do. Glorify yourself. The father's words respond to Jesus' plea again, pointing that, to Jesus being lifted up i will glorify it again by being uh, by you uh, fulfilling your role as the suffering servant let's keep going in uh, 29 the crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered Others said, an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. This is where Irv mentioned this morning during the remembrance service. In keeping with the theme of Teruah, the trumpets, Jesus focuses down right here on judgment, okay? The fate of the future world system that hates its maker and the prince who rules that system has been cast in stone. And in anticipation of Jesus's final triumph, Jesus declares that Satan himself will be cast out. Yom Teruah uh, is not celebrated as such by Jews anymore. They call it now Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year or sometimes the Jewish New Year. And uh, they, they focus down on judgment, although they, they look at it as, as an internal judgment, and judging yourself and your own actions so that God will bless you for another year. In any case, God will call them to prepare themselves, and they will know exactly what that trumpet means. Yom Kippur is the next, and that deals with the atonement, specifically the atonement of Israel, but in light of John using the feasts throughout his gospel to uh, make various allusions to Christ, um, we see Jesus as the atoning sacrifice here. Um, His salvation is made potent by his sacrifice. It's made Alive and possible and powerful uh, because of his sacrifice. And he somewhat alludes to that when he says, um, and when I am lifted up from the earth, uh, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Now Jesus was lifted up actually in three different ways. He was lifted up by way of the cross when he was laid flat on the cross and then it was lifted up and all could see that he died. But then he was put in a tomb and on the third day he was lifted up. He raised from the tomb and Forty days later, he was lifted up the third time into a, into heaven and received by the Father as the perfect sacrifice. So there's more in this verse than just the way Jesus dies, although that's a significant piece of it. But Jesus ultimately is speaking, um, and John alludes to this to a, a broader Um, lifting up the next feast that is in kind of in view here is Sukkot or the feast of tabernacles or booths and the Jews call this the restoration of all things when Messiah comes and reestablishes the throne of David and rules his kingdom um, forever and so they see um, a restoration here. Of course, they they don't um, agree as a people that Jesus is Messiah. But contrast for a minute here: Satan being cast out, right? while Jesus was lifted up from the earth, right. The, the actual Greek word here is a real simple word. We would, we would pronounce it ek, not ik, but ik, but ek, E-K, and it means away from, which is part of understanding that Jesus' death and his burial and his resurrection and his ascension and his glorification are all in view here. It's the entire package of redemption. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. By his lifting up, that is his death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and exaltation, all men will be drawn to him. And as Irv pointed out earlier, not all, though, will come. The doorway is standing open. And worldwide attention is drawn to that doorway because of Christ. Jesus said in Matthew 22, 14, for many are called, but few are chosen. There's Two different Greek words here. Um, Kletos is to be called or invited. And eklektos, which means to be selected or chosen. Jesus said, many are kletos, but few are eklektos. Many are cho- are called, essentially all. That's what the many would be. Um, it's a universal drawing of the world to Christ Jesus. And yet, few are chosen for whatever purpose, Uh, God has chosen some, and the rest refuse to believe. Well, let's continue on. Verse 33. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Remember, this same crowd just a couple of days earlier had been proclaiming him Messiah as he entered into Jerusalem. Barachabo Bashem Adonai. Melech Israel, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. They were proclaiming of Jesus to be the son of David, Mashiach, Messiah, the Mashiach ben David, Messiah, the son of David. And yet now they're saying, wait a minute, your Messiah, except that Messiah is supposed to be here. Always. They actually didn't listen to their teaching that the suffering servant Messiah, that Jesus also fulfilled, it is at his first advent, was to die. And the exalted ruler, the son of David, was to resurrect him and claim his throne. And of course, we know both of those are in the person of Jesus, and the Jews. Dissected it out, but they were missing that and chose to ignore it. Here, their enthusiasm is beginning to wane because Jesus is not talking about the signs and wonders that he had done anymore, and they're wanting him to throw Rome out of Jerusalem and Israel. And in fact, Jesus is talking about God's glory and about his death. For all mankind. So they're starting to say. Wait. Wait. What? I don't get it. If you're not Messiah. Then then who is Messiah? At Sukkot. Jesus. Earlier in the book. Contrasted the darkness. Of the religious leadership with the light of the world, when he proclaimed, I am the light of the world, right, and now he's going to extend that concept a little bit more, verse 36, uh, 35, and Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer, walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you, the one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. After Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and glorification at the Father's right hand, it would be obvious... Um, But right then and there is the light of the world. And instead of giving uh, Jesus, giving them some kind of answer that they wanted in their mind, just like with Nicodemus, he went from the physical and took Nicodemus into the spiritual. Just like the the woman at the well and so many others that John has put in his gospel for us to encounter. That Jesus is going from the physical, ignoring the physical, and taking us into the spiritual. He's warning us here that while he's still walking among them, it's going to be easier for them to believe. Because after he's gone, it's going to be hard to believe. So believe now, don't put it off, which is still a fine message, In the 20th chapter of John, later on, verse 29, Jesus says to Thomas, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. He was not really questioning Thomas's faith, but pointing out to Thomas that your faith is kind of superficial. You believe me because you've seen all these things, but think about all the people who aren't going to see me with their own eyes until we're together in glory, and yet they will believe. Peter makes a similar kind of statement. Praise for those who believe without seeing in the first um, epistle, in the opening chapter. After the Holy Spirit is given, the sons of light have the light of the world resident in them. As his ambassadors were to shed that light into the dark world. To make Jesus known. And. That does beg the question. Are my actions casting his light. On this dark world. Like the disciples did and they brought these Gentiles, these Greeks to Jesus. Are the actions of my life drawing people toward Jesus, toward his light that they see in me. It's a good self-evaluation opportunity in the last part of chapter 12 here. So let's keep moving ahead. Verse 37, when Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them Though he had done so many signs, John writes, so many signs before them, they still did not believe. You can feel John's passion for Jesus and his somewhat um, confusion about how they could not believe when they saw all that he had done. And like a good prosecutor will do, John pauses here for a moment to give some explanation, some understanding and perspective, clarify maybe some questions that we the jury may have in our minds. And John asks the question for us, why didn't these people believe when they saw so many wonders right before their eyes so he's going to go on and give us a twofold answer that's clouded in old testament prophecy but the holy spirit has been given to us to illuminate the word verse 37 again though he had done so many signs before them They still did not believe in him so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart. Lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. God and the prophet are being somewhat um, mystical in these statements. When, he, when Isaiah wrote, uh, he, these are quotes from Isaiah 53, the first verse. And from Isaiah 6 and the 10th verse, when he says they could not believe, the Greek words here are um, o dunamai pisteo. Dunamai is the Greek word that we derive dynamite from. Dunamai is an explosive creative power. Literally, this verse, this this statement says, not the power to believe, or really not the power in themselves to believe. They were not restrained from belief they couldn't muster the strength within themselves to believe. So we shouldn't take the hardening of Israel to mean that the Jews have been restrained from believing so that they are not responsible for their actions. Many Jews, in, in, while well, Jesus still walked on the earth and in the first century, And all the way through the many centuries, many Jews have come to know Christ. As a people, though, they could not muster the strength amongst themselves. But individually, they have that ability. And many have come to Christ. They are responsible for their actions. Is man as a rule responsible? For what we do? Yes. Is God sovereign and omniscient and omnipresent and all those other omnis? Yes. Is prophecy being fulfilled here by Jesus? Yes. Do we comprehend all of that? Not really. Right? We have a grasp of some of it. Some of it still eludes us. So we shouldn't say that God had hardened the hearts of the Jews um, on purpose so they could not believe. It's that they would not believe. And as a people, he has restrained nation Israel for this time being so that his grace and mercy can be extended to the Gentiles. And praise God, many of his chosen people, the Jews, have come to know Christ as well. Let's move forward to finish up. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. That is, Messiah. Okay? John tells us what prompts Isaiah to write these things. Isaiah visited the throne room of God in Isaiah chapter 6, right? The prophet was ushered into the presence of the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies. And in Isaiah 53, Isaiah is given the truth that the king, who is the Lord of hosts himself, becomes the one on whom the iniquity of all mankind is placed. So John, so Isaiah sees the throne room of God and sees the Lord of Hosts, and then it's revealed to him that the Lord of Hosts Himself is the one on whom our iniquity was laid, and John is bringing that point out in his closing arguments about Christ. Verse forty-two, then. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. So many, even of the leadership, believed that Jesus is Messiah. But they were not willing to confess it because they loved their position more. Most did not believe, many did believe, but amongst many of those, they stayed comfortable in their position. We should self evaluate that and. and learn from their mistake there. Verse 44 begins a little bit of an allusion to Hanukkah. The, the Feast of Dedication or the Feast of Lights that John covered back in chapter 10. Where Jesus attended uh, the Feast of Dedication and called out the darkness of the... the uh, Jewish leadership and proclaimed that I and the Father am one. Now, remember, Hanukkah is not one of God's feasts that he commanded of Israel. But it is a feast that the Jews commemorate, (coughs) excuse me, and that Jesus himself participated in. Verse 44, and Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him, (coughs) sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. We'll just pause right there. It's at the feast of dedication that Jesus said, I and the father are echad. We are one in uh, chapter 10 and verse 30. And now he's telling them that because we see the Father when we see Jesus, when we believe in Jesus, we're believing in the one who sent him. This is why we have to carefully uh, instruct and encourage our friends and family <clears> Out <throat> a tickle right there we've got to carefully treat our friends and family when they say i believe in god there has to be some kind of a greater power but i don't think jesus is the son of god he was just a good teacher right because jesus is debunking that right here i and the father are one Because you see me, you see the Father. And because you believe in me, you're believing in the one who sent me, the Father. Without believing in God, you can't get to a belief in God without getting through Jesus first. He is, in essence, the doorway. He is the way, the truth, and the life. So right here, Jesus, Jesus or or John is merging into a single object of saving faith. Jesus and the Father. Right? The Father was not out playing golf while Jesus hung on the cross. As we looked at during our Easter message. The Father was present. The Holy Spirit was present and the g in uh, the Son Jesus was present while he hung on the cross, and all of them had their fingerprints on his resurrection because he is one <clears throat> Now remember that one of the other central themes of Hanukkah um, is the the deliverance of people and the destro- the destruction of a tyrant right and Jesus again moves the focus away from the physical and back onto the spiritual and now he's going to take them into the f- final fullness or the final victory in verse 47 if anyone hears my words and does not keep them i do not judge him for i did not come to judge the world but to save the world wait a minute Uh, just a few minutes ago he says now is the time of judgment of this world Seems to be a contradiction here. (laughs) He isn't making a contradiction though. He's restating this thought from one that was negative. Now is the time for judgment of the world into one that is positive. I didn't come to judge, but to save. The time will come. During the tribulation when the belligerent world system is judged and the time will come when he returns to judge the world's tyrannical overlord and those that followed him in rebellion against God. Keep in mind, he will judge individual sinners, but he will also save the world. So. Individual believers will receive life everlasting and God's world will receive its king. So let's close this up. Jesus says, the one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that this commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Jesus didn't speak Uh, speak a message that he contrived himself, right? He only spoke a message that he received from the father, the one who sent him. And what the father commanded him to say results in eternal life for those who believe it. Consequently, Jesus was very carefully conveying This message of hope exactly as it was delivered by the father and received by the son. The next time we look at John, we'll be seeing the upper room and Jesus washing his disciples' feet. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your written word that we can read the words that you have uh, placed in such a level of importance that they've been carried on from from, uh, generation to generation. we praise you for the Holy Spirit that illuminates that word. We praise you for the incarnate word, your son, who is the thread that runs through your entire word, Lord. I pray as you go out, as we go out today, that we you would help us be mindful of the self evaluation that is um, important from chapter twelve here. That we would look and see that we are, through our actions and our life, drawing people to you. That we are reflecting your light, letting your light shine uh, because your spirit is within us. Lord, I pray that we would go out and have a great day. It's in your son's great and glorious name we pray, amen. Just as one little aside, I wanna thank our Gideon friend from coming. Many years ago in the little town of Ukiah, we lived in Boonville, Uh, which is in both of them are in Mendocino County, California, way in the north. And Boonville is a tiny little town compared to uh, Ukiah, which would probably be comparable to about red wing size. In any case, in in the Ukiah paper, somebody had written a letter to the editor for some strange reason about leprosy and how it was leprosy is not all that bad. And the reason that we think now in this day and age, it's so bad is because of the Bible and how it's just terrorized people because of the words in the Bible that speak of leprosy. And I rarely have ever, I ever done this, but I decided to write a response to that letter to the editor in my own letter. And I called out that, that Jesus healed or cleansed lepers And in fact, only one of those that he cleansed is recorded as coming back and saying, thank you. And Jesus asked him, where are the rest? Anyway, I forget all of what I put in there, but I said, you know, don't don't blame the Bible um, for this. And someone sent me one of those Gideon cards and said that he had made a a donation to Gideon's uh, because he was blessed by the words that my defense of The Bible, and I just want to encourage you to use those cards um, if you're blessed by someone, um, because it really touched me that here's someone who has, uh, you know, made an offering because of my words, and uh, I know that you are all blessed by words of someone, and vice versa, and that's a great way to um, to respond. So, in any case, shalom.